You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and welcome to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. I'm Sharon Noonan and tonight's show has a little bit of everything from organic growing, an award-winning producer, cooking tips from Just Cooking's Mark Doe if you're heading off to college or indeed if you know someone heading off and you want to pass the advice on. I'll be talking to Chef Matt Burgess at the Dua Summer Festival and Barbecue and Fulcher Ireland's Helen McDade will be on the phone towards the end of the hour highlighting the food events taking place during the month of September. Before I introduce tonight's first guest, a reminder as to how you can get in touch with the best possible taste. Please email me s.noonan at live.ie or tweet me at Queen of Org, which is short for organisation. So last month, Sinead from the Organic College in Drumcolliher joined me in the studio and she's very kindly agreed to return on a monthly basis to keep us all up to date on what we should be planting and harvesting at certain times of the year. She's back tonight, so let's find out what we should be doing during the month of September. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Just before we went on air there, you were saying about harvesting. There's a lot of harvesting taking place at the moment. Yeah, now is the big harvest time. All the crops that went in in the spring are really coming to fruition at this stage. So a lot of crops you're going to be harvesting, continually harvesting, whereas some crops are going to be finished, ready for harvest, and you have to harvest the whole lot together. Um, Example, onions. Onions now would be mostly ready for picking um, the the green goes over, you know, they're nice and fresh and green while they're growing and then the green goes off and usually you just bend it over and they kind of, I suppose, slightly dry off while they're growing and then you need to pull them out of the ground and let them dry off again another bit because I suppose the good thing with onions is that they will go into store. You know, when you harvest the onions, if you dry them off well, then you can store them and you'll have them right through the winter. And I suppose that's the big thing with a lot of the veg you grow is being able to keep it through the year rather than just having it for a short period of time. And what is the best way to store the onions then? Um, Once you have them dried off, and I suppose you need to go through them to make sure that sometimes you'll have onions that have a very thick neck and that doesn't dry off so well. And if they don't dry off, then the rot will go down into the onion. So it's just trying to dry them off well. If you can dry them off, if it's it's fine weather, sunny weather, you can leave them on the soil. Otherwise, try and bring them in somewhere, you know, maybe in front of a sunny window or somewhere just to let them dry off. Uh, We'd often dry ours off just in the tunnel, in the polytunnel, because you get the heat with the plastic. And then once they're dried off, you can store them in anything. You can tie them up in bunches if you want, if you've got a cool, dry shed or even in, you know, an onion bag, as you know, like you'd see in a shop where you'd have onions, a kind of a net bag. It's just, it's important to allow air to flow through. Um, we usually just tie ours up in bunches. We have a little shed. We just tie them up in there. There's a bit of air going into it. It's not damp. So, you know, they're not going to get wet and they're not going to get frost. And that's all. And they'll store away right through until almost April before they start going soft. And are they hung up whenever you say they're in the shed or they hung up? Yeah, we the, just hang the them up on uh, across, you, you know, tie string across in the shed and just hang the bunches off them so you can get them whenever you need them. So onions is a great one to grow because, as you say, it lasts. They last and they can be stored and they keep. 
Exactly, they do. And they're easy enough to grow. You know, you can grow from seed or you grow from sets and you put them in the ground. There's not much goes wrong with them. And then you harvest them and dry them off and you, ha- you have your onions to keep you going. And actually, well, it's a little bit early now, but as you get into kind of September, October, you could, you'll start seeing the overwintering onion sets appear in the shops and garden centres. And they go in and they grow over winter and then they're ready kind of May, uh, early June. So if you had your stored onions and then you're overwintering onions and if you had onions in a polytunnel you could keep a year-round supply going quite easily. So does that mean you'd be growing onions twice a year, planting them twice a year, harvesting them twice a year? Exactly. Ideally? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And what else would you be harvesting at the moment? Well, in almost everything. You know, the summer carrots are all there being picked. Uh, potatoes, of course, are still going on. You'd be into second earlies now. It's, it's a bit too early yet for the main crop. You'd be leaving really to September, well into September for your main crop. But your second earlies would be well going at this stage. Um, the salads, um, all your kind of, I suppose, cabbages, cauliflower, broccoli, everything like that is in full swing at the moment. Um, a lot of these aren't like onions they won't actually store for the winter but I suppose what you can do is uh, freeze them and you know there's it's like when you have when you grow your own veg even if it's only a small bit at home it's so nice to have your own fresh veg and then once they run out I think you always feel kind of bad about having to go and buy again in a shop so something like carrots or peas or beans which you often would have a glut of uh, very easy all you have to do is blanch them which is basically you know have water boiling put the veg in let it come back to the boil for about three minutes take them out into cold water and then they can go into the freezer and they're perfect you know and they're going to store well for you and you have your own veg to keep you going you know in the winter months remind you of the summer maybe and should you chop them up into whatever batons or rinds yeah with carrots or that you would chop them up Um, with the peas you'd shell them Um, with the beans the same and just shell them and put them in and I mean things like broad beans you always have a big glut of them because you know a few plants will give you a lot of beans it's the same with peas because they keep coming you know and in the beginning you love fresh peas and you're eating them away and the next thing you've got this huge amount of them and if you don't keep picking them of course they go over and they're they're not as nice and they're not as sweet so if you can pick them when they're nice and sweet and freeze them then you'll have your own frozen peas all winter and you said there about plunging them into the cold water when you bring them out that's very important because it stops them continuing to cook exactly yeah and and it's just i suppose it just kind of makes sure that they don't go off uh, too quickly you know just the blanching is a kind of a i suppose a preserving method in a way just to kind of uh, make sure that they're going to last but uh, anything like that freezes very easily you mentioned cauliflower there what would you do with cauliflower if you had a surplus of it at the moment the the same thing you just break it up into florets you know divide it up a little bit and do exactly the same thing um, and it will keep you going Um, of course there are cauliflowers you can have cauliflowers grown right through the winter now I know we don't have the best of soil for cauliflower in the winter because we're too wet, but there are winter varieties of cauliflower. They would have been sown a lot earlier than this, but they would be coming to fruition as you get into October, November, that sort of time. So that was cauliflower um, and you mentioned broccoli as well. And I think broccoli is it not best eaten straight out of the ground onto the plate it is it's lovely I mean it's best when it's fresh but if you harvest it when it's fresh and 
blanch it and freeze it, then you've got it at its best. You know, um, not the same, not always the same as kind of mushy frozen broccoli you might buy. You know, it's a totally different thing. Um, and the thing is, in Ireland, you only get broccoli in the summer. You know, once we get past September, every broccoli you'll see in a shop or supermarket is imported because it is just a summer crop in Ireland. Um, so, you know, if you have some, a nice bit of your own, it, it's good to be able to keep it if you have plenty of it. Would some people actually make soups now and freeze the soups? They would, of course, yeah. With a lot of the veg, you would. Soups would be a good idea. And I mean, you'd also be going into preserves like chutneys and that. It's probably a little bit early yet because, you know, the tomatoes are in full flow at the moment and they're fabulous and you love eat. You know, it's the middle of summer. Well, end of summer, I suppose, really. You know, having lovely fresh tomatoes, you'll eat them. But as we get further on into September, um, the tomatoes, you know, when they're starting to go off, then it's that's when you start using them for me making chutneys and sauces and anything like that that will preserve the flavour over the summer. And do you do that preserving in Drumcolour? We do, yes, because we have, you know, we have a lot of veg, so we would always then try and make chutneys, preserves, anything we can that will have, you know, keep our produce going through the winter. And I suppose... Um, I mean, if you go back in olden times, preserving, conserving, it was a big thing. Pickling, all of that was just to keep food for the winter when you didn't have, you know, fresh vegetables. And of course, since we've got into having freezers and supermarkets, you know, we've got out of the habit. But, you know, if, like if you, if you think about it, if you want to kind of keep your food all year round, you have to do something with it to preserve it. And that's where the pickles and the chutneys and the relishes come in. And... So a chutney then, tell me a bit about a chutney that you yourself would make with, say, um, tomatoes. We'd make a tomato chutney. Um, we, we'd make a lot of different ones. Um, you, you can, When the tomatoes are still red, like now, you can make lovely red tomato chutneys, sometimes mixed with peppers or with chilies for a little bit more spicy flavour. Um, Later on in the season, when you're left with a load of green tomatoes, again, you can make quite nice green tomato chutneys. Um, but um, just if you can do it, I suppose the, the type of chutney or relish you make depends on, you know, you know, your own choice. You can add all sorts of things to it. You know, you can add raisins and apples. You can add more spices. It depends on what you particularly like to have in that kind of a chutney. Um, there was a one we made last year called a Mediterranean chutney where we added in courgettes and I think an aubergine, a few other, you know, vegetables. And again, just that kind of flavour of the summer. Um, the basil as well at the moment is, in, you know, full picking. And again, that's that's a herb that's going to go off after, once the summer is over. It, it likes the warm temperatures. And, you know, pesto is something that can be made with that. But equally, a basil oil where you actually infuse the basil into the oil and it has that you know, that unmistakable basil smell and flavour, you get it in the oil. So then in the winter, you've got that kind of reminder of summer and kind of warm Mediterranean feel, I suppose, with the basil oil and you keep the flavour because basil, it doesn't, as a herb, it doesn't dry very well and it doesn't freeze very well. It loses a lot of its flavour, but the oil keeps the flavour, so it's a lot better. And speaking of herbs, a lot of people may have herbs in the boxes, on the windowsill or in the pots. What do they need to be careful about now with the winter, with the autumn coming? Um, well, it would depend on the herbs. A lot of the herbs will carry on. They'll be fine. You know, um, chives, thyme, parsley, rosemary, sage, they all grow away. They'll, they'll survive the winter. Um, they'll, they'll, you'll still be able to pick a bit off them. You won't get the regrowth, of course, as the winter goes on, but they'll be all fine. Next spring, they all shoot on again. Um, 
it was only in the very bad winters, those really heavy snows, that you'd lose herbs like rosemary and sage. But most winters, they're fine outside um, and they'll just continue on. The basil won't, coriander is an annual, it will be gone, dill will be gone, uh, fennel dies back for the winter. But you know, you're, and if you think about it, the kind of herbs you think about in winter with stews and that kind of food are the aromatic ones like thyme and rosemary and you know, they're the kind of herbs and they're the ones that last in the winter, whereas the kind of basil and coriander are more summer flavours and they're your annual herbs, they'll just last for the season. And if you thought there was going to be very hard frost for a few days, is it worthwhile putting the pot into the shed? It is, of course. If you, I mean, herbs grow very well in pots, and that means you can take them in in the winter if you're a bit worried. Um, or, you know, equally, your parsley, you'd probably keep it going very well on a windowsill in the kitchen through the, th- the winter and be able to continue harvesting off it. So it and handier. Exactly. <laughs> Not to have to go out into the, the cold and the frost to get the bit of it. So we've talked there about the harvesting and the preserving. What about planting? Is is it too late now to be planting? Is there anything we can plant no, now? No, at, at this time you're actually getting in again. You're starting to plan for the winter. So, you know, your winter cabbages, your spring cabbages, um, kale, even leeks that are going to harvest through the winter, a lot of them can be sown now at this time um, in August and they're going to grow through the winter. And then you're talking about kind of... January, February, March, that time that you're going to have a crop. Um, another handy one that would go on now is the purple sprouting broccoli. You know, the not the big kind of Calabrese heads that we get in the summer, but the smaller little spears that are purpley. They're ready, if you sow them around now, they're ready in kind of February into March. And it's a time when you don't really have very much fresh veg for the garden. So it's really nice to suddenly have this crop coming on that you can harvest. And of course, if anybody is interested in learning more about this in a professional capacity, the Organic College is taking students in at the moment. We are, yeah. Our next course, the the start of the course again is mid-September, so we're still um, enrolling students up until that point. Um, There's still a few places left and uh, we'd love to have people come along. Anyone who has an interest in growing and food in general is always welcome. And the details are on the website, which is organiccollege.com. That's right. Shanid, thanks for coming in this evening and we'll talk to you again next month. Thank you. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Great advice from Sinead there. And if you have any questions that you'd like me to ask her on her next visit, please send them to me by email s.nunan at live.ie and I'll be sure to ask her on her next visit to the Best Possible Taste studio. Now, a great way to use up some of the surplus produce you might have would be to pass it on to a student. I remember those days well and food is always very much appreciated. So if you're a student heading to college or if you know someone going that direction, Just Cooking's Mark Doe has some great advice when it comes to making the most of your grant for the benefit of your belly. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Mark, tell us, how do you go about preparing young people that come in your courses to be prepared whenever they leave home for the first time and they've minimal cookery skills? Yeah, I suppose what we do, Sharon, really is uh, when they come to us, uh, they, they haven't got a clue a lot of the time, to be honest, most of them. Uh, they've obviously been cooked by their their mammies, I suppose, for a good few years. So uh, they come to us and uh, they they don't know where to start. So basically, what we do is we start them with some basic nice skills, uh, just you know how to take the stress out of preparing the you know the preparation for dishes because that can be the most stressful part sometimes. You know, so we just go through basic nice skills for a while. 
uh, get them feeling a little bit more confident with that. And then we go on to some, some, some basic cooking techniques. So, you know, we'd have like, uh, you know, sweating vegetables because once you know how to sweat an onion, you can prepare pretty much any dish that you like, you know. So, so we start with kind of maybe making a basic tomato sauce and then we might do two or three dishes from that as, as part of the course. And do they go home with a cookery book then with all the recipes in it? Yeah, they get a recipe pack. We usually do about five or six dishes, but they're, they're very adaptable dishes. I mean, what we try and do really, I suppose, is, you know, there's dishes there that can be kind of bulk produced and then frozen. So, for instance, if you make a basic tomato sauce, uh, you can make four or five dishes out of that that can be, be, be bulk frozen. So what we try and say to them is even if they prepare them on their weekends off, even though I'm sure most of them get their, their mums to do that for them. But if they prepare them on their weekends when they're home, they can take them back to their accommodation and freeze them. And uh, then they can have kind of four or five meals easily in the freezer readily available for when they, they finish their studying and, and come home from college. And you mentioned there a tomato-based dish, so you're obviously very aware of their budgets. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's a big part of the course, actually, because what we try and, and put across to these kids really is you know, if they're going out and eating takeaways at kind of 12 or 13 euro, euros a pop, 12 or 13 euros can produce you a good three or four meals quite easily. And even to the stage where we had, we got we had a lovely email from a student that attended the course last year, and we, we did a, a chicken stir-fry, very simple, fresh chicken stir-fry, and we were explaining to them that for four portions of that, basically, it's costing you a lot less than going to the Chinese takeaway and getting one portion. And what this young girl had done, which I thought was absolutely fantastic, she was cooking four portions of it and then selling it to the other students for four euros a pop. So there was a little bit of enterprising going on there as well, you know. Very entrepreneurial of her. Very much, yeah. It was great to hear, but, you know, what a great idea. And it's great that, you know, that she was telling us that the, the, the five or six dishes that she did here were really a, a good part of her you know, of her meals every week. I think she'd gone on to kind of create new dishes of what she'd learned here, so it's fantastic. I think it does work well if you're in a house with a few other people, if you can actually take it in turns to cook and to cook for each other. Absolutely, and cook nice fresh food. And, like, you know, the thing is with fresh food as well, I find, Sharon, is that if they're eating fresh food, good fresh vegetables, whether it be a stir-fry or a stew or whatever, it, it kind of, I think it helps them study better as well. I really do believe that if you're, if you're on the right diet, your, your concentration levels will go up as well, rather than convenience food, which is pumped full of sugars, and you get those kind of sugar buzzes and then those slumps in the afternoon. So we try and encourage a bit of that as well, you know. My father is a greengrocer, so whenever I was at college, he supplied the ton weight bag of spuds that sat in the kitchen. And then on the Sunday evening, I come up with all the veg. And then I had four other girls in the house, and they each brought one thing of meat. So somebody might bring chicken, mince, whatever it was. Yep. And then we took it in turns every night. Somebody made the dinner. And I mean, I, I can't imagine what I would have eaten if we hadn't that yep. routine in place. Oh, no, I mean, they, they, you know, they, they, unfortunately, uh, I think the majority of students do eat rubbish. And I know myself as a student, I was fortunate in some respects that I, I was living in London. And uh, when I had my first job in London, I was in uh, accommodation. In, you know, we was in bedsits. They weren't particularly well equipped for cooking. I think there was a microwave was all there was there. But, uh, you know, because we were chefs, it was amazing what we knocked up from that microwave. We were doing sticky toffee puddings and spaghetti bolognese and baked potatoes. So even if you've got limited kind of equipment in your kitchen, you know, all you really need, to be honest, is a wok, you know, a good wok, good frying pan, a couple of saucepans, and you can knock up dishes very quickly, you know. 
Well, there's lots of good advice there, Mark. I think the point that you make about them eating healthily has a positive impact on their their mental attitude towards their studies and their ability to study. So definitely doing a course, if, if, if there's people out there who feel that they have children or who are students themselves heading off and they feel that they don't have those cookery skills that they need, they should certainly get in touch with you to find out when you're doing the, your next course. Absolutely, that'd be great. Yeah, they, they, they're very popular. Like they are actually full at the moment, but we'll, we'll try and run some more. We might even try and run some during midterm. But what I'll try and do is also, and I'll try and get some recipes up on the website, some kind of student-friendly kind of recipes as well, you know, before before the students start back. So we might kind of just put up, you know, a couple of simple res- base recipes that they can use then to develop a few dishes from. And that's just cooking.ie. It is, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Great. Mark, thanks so much. So, thanks a million. Take care. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to tonight's programme. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. If you've just joined us, we have been talking to the Organic College's Sinead about what to be planting and harvesting at this time of the year. And Mark Doe from Just Cooking was on the phone with advice for students to ensure that they don't go hungry when they start college. This evening's show will, of course, be up on the soundcloud.com forward slash food and drink show podcast later in the week so be sure to have a listen if you need to catch up. Still to come tonight I'll be on the phone to the recipient of a great taste award and uh, Helen McDade from Fulcher Ireland will be highlighting some of the great food events taking place this month. Next, I have an interview that I recorded during the Dois Summer Festival and Barbecue, which was a fundraiser for the Church Bell, and I believe that the event raised a substantial amount of money, so well done to all involved. And um, as I've said before, I met some incredible people when I was there, and I've shared some of the, the interviews that I had already with Bruce, King of the Hacka and the Hangy. And last week I was talking to Danny McCubbin from the Jamie Oliver Food Foundation. Well, this week it's time to have a listen to my chat with a lovely fella called Matt Burgess. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Matt, you're one of the Jamie Oliver crew and you are the man behind DJ Barbecue. Tell us about that. Absolutely. Um, first of all, Christian's really gutted that he couldn't be here. Um, he had to go away on holiday with his family. He hasn't had one this year, uh, but he sends his love. But yes, I, I uh, run the DJ Barbecue operation. Um, he dresses in spandex and jumps around with axes and makes us look good, but he's also an amazing DJ. Um, and he came up with the concept of um, cooking at slow and low pork in the UK. Um, it sort of uh, comes from his background, which is American. Um, he's from Maryland and uh, Washington. Um, and uh, we got in a Lang smoker, um, which is a huge, it looks like a little train. Um, so we imported that from Texas. Uh, and then we put pork butts in, which are pork shoulders. And we cooked them for about 18 to 20 hours. And then we put on a little bit of Carolina jus, which is just made out of apple juice and cider vinegar. Um, and that's been absolutely amazing. Um, you know, we've done, I think, 15 festivals this year. Uh, our last one being Camp Festival, which was amazing. And uh, our last one will be Jamie Oliver's Big Festival. So we're looking forward to it. And you've worked closely with Jamie Oliver for the past four years or so. And you've opened a couple of restaurants with him. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I... 
uh, opened Jamie's Italian Thread Needle Street, um, which is a, more of his fine dining Italian concept. So we have a different menu than all the other ones. Uh, it's it's been an absolute honour to work with Jamie. Such a passionate individual. But um, yeah, about to about to do my own thing. Tell us about that. Um, well, it's going to be called the Ealing Park Tavern. Um, we've just gone into refurbishment. It's with the ETM Group, which are an amazing pub group that sort of borders on fine dining but accessible pub food. Um, the producers, uh, we use a lot of producers in Ireland actually uh, to get a lot of our meat from because I believe that Irish meat is the best in the world. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It is absolutely fantastic. So um, we're doing a 10 room boutique hotel. We're going to have our own brewery, uh, which we'll be doing. We'll probably be starting off with three lines of uh, two ales and one lager. And uh, we're also going to be doing a fine dining pub and we've got a huge outdoor area and uh, we want to do a little street food option in there. And it's going to be exciting. It's really, really cool. Is this a dream of yours? It is. It's, it's been an utter dream. And I've got to thank, you know, people like Jamie Oliver, Jason Atherton, who have backed me massively in, uh, in my career and uh, really believed in me that I could do it. So it's amazing. It's amazing to be here in Dua. This is an incredible event that John Brellahan has just gone, come from nothing to something. And I have to say, Ireland rocks. The people are so nice. Thank you on behalf of my fellow Irish. But I want to take you back in time for a bit and tell me, how did your career start and where did it start? Wow, it's uh, it's, it's a bit crazy. Um, me and my brothers were in a band and um, uh, we wanted to press a CD. So um, they said, uh, one of us has to work and they forced me to work. So I started off by washing dishes in a restaurant and I came to found out it was one of the best restaurants in New Zealand. And uh, after working there for about six months, I was offered an apprenticeship. Um, and I did my four-year apprenticeship with them. And uh, from there, I came over to the UK about 16 years ago. Um, I worked at Soho House, um, went all over the world with them. I opened Babington House with them. Um, we also went to Cannes and to work on their yacht over there. Um, I also decided to stay in Cannes and I worked at the two Michelin star restaurant over there called La Palme d'Or. Came back and then I jumped on with Gordon Ramsay and Jason Atherton and worked with them for a little while. And um, then I jumped in with Jamie and um, yeah, it, the rest is history. I can only imagine that working for Gordon Ramsay and working for Jamie Oliver must be poles apart in terms of the personalities of the two individuals. Massively. Massively different. Um, <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Gordon is as what he is on TV. I love Gordon Ramsay. I think he is an incredible person, incredible character. What you see on TV is actually not what he's like. He's a real people person. He's passionate about his team, about his restaurants, and about his food. Um, where Jamie is exactly the same, but more sort of a, a more of a sort of an interesting individual. Where he's got a lot more different layers. Where Gordon is more about the food and the restaurants. Jamie is more about the people and the foundation and charities and charitable work and just wanting people to eat better food, uh, which I love and I love them both for that. Well, we wish you all the best in your new endeavour and thanks so much for talking to me. Thank you. I love Ireland. <laughs> Keep Irish. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. The very best of luck to Matt in his new adventure, the Ealing Park Tavern in London. Be sure to check it out if you find yourself in his neck of the woods and let us know what you think. We'd love to have a listener on to do a review of it. And speaking of reviews, Rachel Keeley returns to West Limerick 102 FM in her capacity as best possible taste resident reviewer next week. So be sure to tune in to find out where she has been dining of late. Next though, it's time to put the spotlight on an award winner 
award-winning artisan producer. This producer is based in Northern Ireland. She's called Tracy Jeffrey, and her company is Eva Paris Macaroons and Fine Patisserie. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleunter. Tracy, the first thing I have to ask you is about your products. Tell us what products you do. Um, I do, mainly I do macaron. Um, I also do other French patisserie in the form of um, like chouquette, which are little um, chouille pastries or um, different types of nutty meringues. Um, but I would have to say that, um, and I do other gluten-free products, but my main product would be the macaron. Now, when you say macaron, a lot of people out there will be saying macaroon. Yes, that's right. That's so, exactly right, Shan. Um, macaron is, is a very different product. Um, macaron um, is the way the French set, so M-A-C-A-R with one O-N. Um, and so I, I choose to go the French way. Um, a macaron is, I suppose, what we all think of, uh, Mrs. Crimble's macaroons, which are, just, which are coconut um, combined with egg white and uh, cooked on chocolate. Um, so they contain coconut, whereas my macaron don't actually contain coconut unless I choose to put coconut in the filling. So that's how there's a difference. They're a very beautiful, pretty product. Yes, yes, they are very. They certainly are very visual, and there's no doubt about it that um, they do attract attention because you do you look at them automatically because of all of the different colours. Um, and they're a very dainty kind of petite, luxurious little item. Um, they're very difficult to make, I would have to say, and many times I've pulled my hair out and wondered why I'm why I'm doing this, why I'm persevering. But um, yes, as you say, they are they're certainly very good and, and very visual in the likes of weddings and events and so on. There's no doubt about that. And would that be the main market for you, the corporate market, weddings? Yes, it would be, Sean. I I do also do the farmers markets, which I find very enjoyable, um, and certainly. You do get a lot of kind of foodie people there who know what they want, and and that's that's good as well. My main markets would be the likes of say weddings, events, kind of conferencing, um, conferences, and so on. Really anywhere where there's some sort of a kind of a um, an activity or an, as I say an event taking place at the likes of weddings. I mean, I would I would offer macaron as either the likes of favors or a huge wedding tour. There are different places in which they feature quite well there you know um, and, and actually they, they work very well because they are gluten free which to be honest I had no idea there is such a huge market for gluten free products um, and I have a, a following of people who, who are gluten free who, who buy the macaron for that reason And what flavours do they come in? Well at the, at the minute I have 11 flavours, I'm always working on flavours um, the, the flavours are the likes of raspberry um, and I should say for these flavours that I am you know, I don't use any flavouring, so I'm crushing raspberries or pistachio, or I've got a, I've also got a, a flavour of raspberry and pistachio combined. I've got vanilla bean uh, flavour. I've got the likes of the dark Belgian organic um, chocolate. Um, I've got obviously coconut in there, or coconut with vanilla, and um, the zesty lemon. Um, oh gosh, I can't even chocolate orange as well with with oil of orange. I've got rose and chocolate. Um, really, to be honest. There are lots of different combinations and people seem to have their kind of favourite ones that they that they want specifically or whatever. Well, pres- um, presumably... Well, obviously, the shell can be any colour. There is a little bit of colouring in the shell, so, 
you know, it just can be whatever colour it needs to be to match the event or whatever, you know. Presumably whenever it comes to a wedding, the bride says she wants a certain flavour, maybe to tie in with colours. But whenever you're going to a market like St George's Market there in Belfast, what's the demand there? What flavours are the most popular there? Uh, to be honest, I find certainly within Northern Ireland anyway that there is a, a definite need, a market for the traditional flavour. So, you know, you could I could look at doing like lavender and more kind of perfumey flavours, but to be honest, the, the main flavours that people go for are lemon, raspberry, pistachio, uh, and the likes of the chocolate or the chocolate with um, the oil of orange as well. So those would be the four, five stock flavours that seem to go every time. And tell us a bit about yourself now. We both went to St. Louis Grammar in Ballymena. And whenever you did your A-levels, what did you do next? When I did my A-levels, I, I kind of had specialised in languages and I, I went on to Queensland to study Irish and French. Um, and I came out as a qualified teacher for those languages, but seemed to do more teaching of French than Irish, which is probably a good thing because it's easier to teach, I think. Um, and then I taught for a while and then I went into training working within the Northern Ireland Tourist Board and delivering customer care training and then I kind of got into this about I suppose about a year ago I just always had a passion for cooking sweet sweet stuff and desserts and so on and the the girl that I had spent a lot of time with in France Francoise who lives in the Dordogne um, I just contacted her in the off chance and said, Francoise, is there any chance you could get me some time in a patisserie where I could work with someone in, in France and learn how to make macarons and other patisserie? And I was just very lucky that she came back and said, yes, we've got that set up for you. And I got the opportunity to, to work alongside a maître de patisserie, um, Raoul, his name was, and very very lucky to to get the chance to be trained there as well were you good at domestic science at st louise um, <laughs> do you know miss ford god lover really persevered with, with me i'd have to say i enjoyed the the cookery side of it an awful lot more than the sewing side of it i i would have to say i wasn't particularly good at that at all but yes i i loved um the whole cookery side of things i don't know if i was much into the whole science behind food and kind of uh, all of the different aspects of it from that side of things but yes I did I did enjoy it yeah well you must have a real talent for it because it certainly sounds like it's a very labor intensive product to make it is Sharon I mean it really there's no doubt about it because when you in terms of of the process of making them um you have to make up the 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 shells if you like and when you pipe those shells out um, then you need to let them sit for about maybe about an hour for that for there to be like um, a film forming over the shells so that they're kind of they don't they're not sticky anymore, and then they go into the oven which has to be at an absolute correct temperature, um, and then when they come out of the oven they need to sit on on a cold surface for about another hour, um, preferably wet as well so that they can let the the base of the shells form the way they should. And then after all of that, then I make my fillings up completely from scratch. So there's no doubt about it. There are times when I think, gosh, it's really very labour intensive. But I would have to say, for me, it's kind of stress relief too, because I have young kids, um, you know, and I I do a little bit of work part time on training as well. So I do enjoy it. I'd have to say I I really do enjoy it. And I get great satisfaction from from seeing a, a nice finished product. What sort of shelf life is there with them? 
The shelf life, at the minute, the shelf life is not very long because they do not contain any um, flavorings or anything artificial at all. So you're looking at, um, I would say, at the outside seven days, five to seven days at room temperature. They do actually freeze extremely well, which surprises people. Um, and actually, I had studies carried out on the freezing of them because I didn't believe myself that they could freeze. But yes, they do freeze. So some places that I supply to, if I supply, say, 100, they just kind of take them out of the freezer as they need them. And then after that, they have a five to seven day shelf life on them. And you do deliver them all over Ireland. You post yes, them, don't do. you? Yes, I do. Now, I'm, I'm predominantly here in the north. Having said that, I am, we did actually do the RDS um, show last year down in December for Christmas, the craft, National Craft Fair, and it was absolutely fantastic. And I had really excellent feedback from from people in the South of Ireland. So it's definitely a market I would like to, to expand and get into a bit more and hopefully, you know, winning this, this award um, and, and getting two stars as well for for the pistachio, which is which is really something I didn't expect. Um, I'm hoping that that will just help me to expand my market into the South of Ireland a bit more. But yes, all over. Well, let's talk a bit more about the awards. It's the Great Taste Awards that you're talking about. So what was the motivation to enter the products into that? The, the motivation, to be honest, I probably lacked a bit of confidence in the product. And people were constantly saying to me, oh, my goodness, they're lovely and so on. And just the fact that I had had constant positive feedback from the public, I thought I'll enter two products. And I, I know lots of people had entered maybe five or six, but because I just didn't have that confidence, I just thought I'll enter two um, and see how I go. And that was basically how it happened. Um, I just was really surprised to find that both of them had had won an award. Um, so I suppose I really, really the motivation was just people around me saying, well, I think you should try this and go for it and it would be great for the company. And that's exactly how it has happened, you know. And you've got a lot of publicity as a result of it. I have. Gosh, I've been, I have been very lucky. Um, I've been on, on Radio Ulster with Wendy Austin um, and I've, you know, I've had a lot of local publicity as well in that, you know, I'm having my photo shoot tomorrow with the mayor of Newton Ards. Um, and so that has been brilliant for me. Um, it's, now, it's now, I suppose, up to me to, to kind of turn that into expanding the business and, and moving on to the next stage. Um, because really... I have just one other person working with me, but I'm doing kind of all aspects, I suppose, like lots of small business owners, all aspects of marketing and social media and all of the markets and all of the cooking of these things and so on. So, um, you know, I need to kind of just be wise about how, how I turn that into real business. You, you mentioned earlier on that you do want to expand into the Irish market in the Republic of Ireland. Yep. And um, what other hopes and dreams, visions do you have for the business? Gosh, I suppose a hope and a dream would be that, you know, one day I would have a lovely little patchy tree like um, Amélie in, in Chocolat. Um, that, the film, if, any, if you've seen it, but um, she has a gorgeous little beautiful French patisserie where she actually makes more chocolate than anything else um, as the title suggests but I would love to do something you know every time when, when we go to France I never tire of going to the patisserie or the boulangerie and the the products are so amazing and I, I sometimes think that we're kind of getting tired of you know 15s and rocky roads and caramel squares and huge cupcakes and so on and there is definitely a market for people who have 
who want something light but tasty that's a little bit different from from the normal and I suppose one day I'd like to to have a little a little shop and be able to do that and kind of just really stick within happy to stick within Ireland I'd have to say um but I think that might be a, a long way down the road really and what advice would you give to anybody that is considering embarking on a similar adventure to yourself probably I would have to say the best bit of advice I could give would be not to kind of to try try and grow organically and I'm very much doing that in that I have been like I carried out an awful lot of research into into this product and um you know went to France and learned about it and actually had to go back again and couldn't get it right and so on but I just took it very much step by step I'm not in millions of delis all over the place I'm not trying to set the world alight I'm growing um, stage by stage and I'm finding that very kind of satisfying for myself um, and the other the other minor thing I would say is that I have received a, a bit of support in the form of business plans and social media training and so on and just to avail of that help um, I haven't received any, any funding or any assistance from any public bodies that way but certainly I have benefited a lot from from that sort of kind of initial consultancy because, you know, if it's new to you, then you, ne- you nearly need to take every bit of help that you can possibly get and, and get your family in there as well, if you can. Sound advice, I'd say, Tracy. Well, I'm delighted for you. Congratulations on it. I'm sure there will be lots more successes there. So be sure to keep in touch. And the next time I'm in Belfast on a Saturday, I'll be calling to you there in St. George's Market to have a taste. Thank you, Sharon. And actually, I'm I'm also in a in a fantastic market in Cumber on a on a the first Thursday of every month, and it's absolutely a brilliant farmers market. It's a little bit further out from Belfast, but um, you know, it's worth calling to. And I'm I'm also on the Newton Breda farmers market as well. As I say, I do love the farmers markets. You know, they're, they're worth it. They're worth coming to. So, but yes, I'd love to catch up with you. And if anybody wants to order online, your web address is evaparis.co.uk. Tracy, thanks so much for talking to me and we'll keep in touch. Thanks a million, Sharon. Nice talking to you. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was on the phone with Tracy Jeffrey talking about her award-winning products. She recently won two great taste awards and I'll be talking to some more great taste award winners in the coming weeks. Now we're edging towards the end of tonight's show and as we're at the start of the month we must make contact with Helen McDade from Fulch Ireland and find out what events are taking place over the next few weeks. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. So we'll start with the festivals in uh, the Mayo, or sorry, yeah, Mayo, uh, the Westport Food Festival. So that's happening between the 5th to the 7th of September, and you know, Westport's a lovely wee spot. So they have lots going on. We have food fairs and entertainment and demos and cook offs and. Um, all sorts of activity and they do a lot around kids as well which which keeps it really interesting for families then we'll move up to Dublin same weekend 4th to 7th September and this is the Irish Craft Beer and Cider Festival and this is based in the RDS 
in Dublin and they'll have about 200 different craft beers and they're going to have some master brewers brewers there they'll be doing master classes they'll have question and answer sessions so if you have any interest in craft beer or cider and particularly Irish craft beer and cider it's certainly the place to spend the weekend the following weekend the fifth uh, the, that weekend of the 12 13 14 Taste of West Cork in Skibbereen. Now, it starts during the week, and all week they have a full range of events, and they have workshops and demos, and they have themed nights in all of the different restaurants around Skibbereen, and they have comp- competitions. And I know Skibbereen's always really good. They, they always do, like, a, um, a window dressing award, and all of the different shops and restaurants and everything all dress their window uh, to fit in with the festival. So you always see all the, the creativity uh, coming out there. Now, the next one is on the 14th of September, and this is a new one. It's actually, again, it's in Dublin, but it's the inaugural National Organic Food Fair. And this is taking place in Marley Park. And the focus is obviously very much on organic food. Uh, Clodagh McKenna is going to be doing there, doing some demos. Uh, There'll be tastings, there'll be stalls, there'll be different talks, there'll be um, gardening demonstrations, all all of that type of thing. Down in Kerry, I'm all over the country this week. Down in Kerry, uh, we have the flavour of Kilorgan. And again, they have a lot of demos. But then they have one of the really interesting challenges they have on the Saturday the 13th. Is they have in the Cara Lake, they say there's no such thing as a free meal. So what they're doing is you actually have to complete a series of adventure challenges to actually get across the lake before you're allowed to savour all the native wild game and the, the culinary delights that all of the restaurants have prepared. So there's nothing like for you to work up an appetite. Very brave people going to get involved in that, I'd say. I'd say they'll be very fit and very brave. And hungry at the end of and it. And hungry at the end of it. Uh, now, unusually back in Dublin again, we have the Dublin Coffee and Tea Festival. And this, again, from the RDS, and this is coming this year, and actually they have the, I think it's the World Championships of the, it'll be at the Dublin Tea and Coffee Festival next year, which is huge. It brings in thousands of people from around the world, and they, they do competitions for baristas. But now they, this one, this is like kind of the, the, the regular Irish one. So they have roasting village, they have brew schools. So in the same way, if you had any interest in craft beers, go to the beer festival, any interest in tea and coffee, this is the place to be. And it's actually really interesting to watch what's happening with coffee because the, the standards and, and the interest in it has really peaked over the last kind of few months. I'm just waiting for the same thing to happen to tea. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, then we're down in Waterford. Again, that same weekend, 12th to the 14th, the Waterford Harvest Fest. Excuse me. And this is always a great uh, event. Like, it literally kind of takes over the whole of the centre of the city. And this time again, I mean, they have activities all around the city. They have activities in the Viking Triangle. They're going to be shown. T.G. Cahar did a sorry, a programme about the blah and getting his PGO status. So the premiere of that programme will be, will be shown and they have other, um, uh, they have uh, workshops. One of it is, uh, what do they call it? Cakery Bakery. Cakery, Cupcakery Makery. Try saying that. And it's really focusing on decorating cupcakes. And the ones that they have shown are all like kind of different animals and things. So they'd be great for like kids' parties. So that's always great fun down in, down in Waterford. Then we're over in Galway in the Climbridge Oyster Festival. 
and this is this is actually their 60th anniversary would you believe gosh they've been going a long time isn't that amazing yeah fair play to them now and this is the start of their oyster season so they're all about great food great guinness great crack great music great entertainment and they have it all kind of by down by the river on a big marquee on the banks of the river um just on the edge of galway bay so it's a beautiful setting as well so um that looks like a lot of fun they have competitions they do best dressed they do best lady dressed and they also do best men dressed so then the middleton festival and that's taking place on the 13th and again they i think they have about like 60 odd food stalls they have cookery demos kids entertainment are actually all set up in the library so that's great so even if the weather's not so good there'll be uh, plenty of things to keep the kids entertained and then at the last weekend of the month we have two more festivals in september one is the Galway International Oyster and Seawood, Seafood Festival. <clears throat> excuse me. So this, this is a massive event. Excuse me. And on the Friday night, they have a food village and they do trails with all the local restaurants. There's activities going on all day Saturday through the city. And then they have the World Oyster Opening Championship on Saturday evening. And they, they actually literally people come from all over the world to compete in the, the oyster opening. Um, and also on the Saturday night, they have a masquerade Mardi Gras where the people, they kind of, uh, it's like a parade through the centre of town. And then they go all go and have dinner, so it's a grand ball. And then on the Sunday, they have um, a big food market. They have lots of activities, lots of stuff for the kids, and they have a hot oyster award. So there'll be cook-offs there and competitions. There's lots going on because obviously this is big harvest season as well. So there's about a dozen festivals taking place in September. People are really spoiled for choice, basically. Yeah, oh, spoiled for choice and all over the country, literally from the, the tip of West Cork out to, to Inish Boffin, to Dublin, to Waterford. Um, Donegal's was actually just last weekend. Like, I mean, literally, they, they cover the whole country, which is great. Um, now, a few area-specific things. Uh, down around um, Loch Derg. They have a, um, uh, they're doing a celebration up in Terry Glass there at the corner, at the edge of the lake. And they're doing a celebration of Tipperary beef and lamb. So they'll, they'll have one of the master butchers kind of talk about it. But then they're doing a big um, barbecue with all the beef and the lamb and local produce and craft beer, which I think sounds like a great evening altogether. And Terry Glass is a lovely spot. It's really nice. It's lovely, and it's actually, oh, I beg your pardon, sorry, it's not in the evening, it's 2 o'clock on Saturday the 6th in the afternoon. So that sounds to me as civilised a way to spend a Saturday afternoon, as, as I can think of. Um, the following Sunday, they can actually, you can go to the Wooden Spoon in Killaloo and pick up a gourmet picnic, and then you can go and, and enjoy that. You can either go down into the middle of Killaloo or you can wander by Loch Derg and just sit back and enjoy your picnic. And it's lovely whenever somebody else just hands you everything all done and dusted. And then at the end of, or sorry, on the 14th, you have um, Apple Week. And that's going to be the Irish Seed Savers will actually celebrate all the, about the peak of the apple harvest and they'll be doing juicings and they'll be talking about the apples and showing people how to create an orchard and every, everything apple, that's certainly the place to be. And that's in Scarif on Sunday the 14th. Now we're going to go across to the east coast again, to the uh, Boyne Valley. And on Saturday the 6th of September, Sheridan's Cheesemongers and Kells 
and they're going to have a, an open market and they're going to bring in all of the, the, the local growers and people who have allotments. So they're kind of going, it's very much like a people's market. So people will come in and, and sell off any of their excess, which I think is a really nice way to do it. Either that or else they'd be eating chutneys for, for years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, It's a great way to, to, to share it out it's and it. let other people enjoy it as well. well. That's it. And, and then to see what's possible. And again, like it's, it's the chatting to people and, and realising, oh, did you grow it? Yeah, and it wasn't actually that bad. And here's what I did. So it, it kind of makes it much more real for people. And then on the 20th of September, there's a, a taste of toher. And that's going to be a local festi- a festival celebrating all of the fruit of the sea and the local suppliers. So they're going to do like a big, a big event there, which I think sounds lovely. And lastly, I'm going to be shooting back over to the Burren and in Liston Varna at the Burren Smokehouse on the 1st of September. You can go in and get a, a behind the scenes sneak peek at how the whole the marinades and the smoking and do the tastings. On the 15th, and again, I think this sounds lovely, it's a um, bike tour. So you would do a bicycle tour around the coastline of Doolan and the Cliffs of Moher. And then you're going to stop off at the Stonecutter's Kitchen and they're going to do a big barbecue with an organic pig on the spit and all of the local produce. So again, it's this working up an appetite, (laughs) working for your dinner. And then last but certainly not least, on September the 22nd, and now this would be weather and tidal dependent, but you would paddle across Ballyvon Bay and then indulge in a well-deserved ice cream at Lanana, Lanana's Ice Cream. Well, thanks so much for sharing all of that with us. All the details are on discoverireland.ie forward slash food. And we look forward to talking to you next month when no doubt Dingle will be making an appearance. Absolutely, yeah. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Thanks again to Helen and as she said, details of the events she mentioned can be found at www.discoverireland.ie forward slash food. Keep sending me details of your cookery demos, food courses, product launches and fundraisers to s.noonan at live.ie and I'll be only too delighted to give them a shout out here on the diary on best possible taste. That's all we have time for this evening. So it's my pleasure to thank you for tuning in and, of course, to all of tonight's guests for coming on the programme. The podcast is online at soundcloud.com forward slash food and drink show. If you missed any of tonight or a previous show, I'll have tonight's up later in the week. Until next Tuesday, when Rachel Keeley will be here with her latest restaurant review, please take care and uh, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!